even though it's been quite a few years since we've lived here. But uh, my wife Emily and uh, three of our four children are here with us as well. And uh, like Chris said, we're from Dayspring Mennonite Church in Virginia. And uh, a number of years ago when God called uh, Dayspring to donate one of our families to Providence, we rose to the challenge and we gave our best. Um, Although I will admit that you know how sometimes when your children are fighting over a toy and you say you need to share, give it to her, and they give the toy, but they kind of hang on to it for a bit? That may have been a little bit what we did uh, there, but I think we've kind of released now and begrudgingly uh, allow you to have Merv and Dawn. It's, uh, we really, really do miss them, though. They are great friends of ours, and uh, we're sad to see them go, but love to see them landing in a good place like this. And so uh, uh, we just bless them uh, here at your congregation. Um, but yeah, I am, I'm excited to, to be here with you all. It's an honor. I consider it an honor. And um, so we, we wanted to talk today a little bit about hope. Hope in a troubled world is what I want to um, talk to you about. And this is a Independence Day weekend, as we all know. And, and this is a time when we usually, we, we kind of gather around and we have fun. We shoot off fireworks and we, we kind of remind ourselves of the, the joy or the, the blessing of living in a country that is free. And uh, admittedly, these last few years have probably been a little more difficult for some of us to really feel excitement and, and um, pride for our country. And so we, we see all this trouble around us. We see a society that is not following God, not following the principles of, of God the way we see them. And so it causes us to feel troubled and we're, we worry about what's, what is it going to look like. Uh, and, and so I guess my challenge for us today is to really be thinking about what does hope really look like and is there hope for a troubled world? Can we have hope in this troubled world that we live in? Uh, we're currently studying uh, the book of Acts at our church in, in Dayspring. And as I was, it was so intriguing for me to the first part of Acts is we started in with these, these, some of the sermons that we heard from um, Peter and Stephen and some of those amazing sermons at the beginning of Acts. Uh, they always would quote the Old Testament passages uh, from Scripture. And so the church in the New Testament, the early church, the first century church, recognized that they were living in a troubled world, but they were offered hope. And so they were reading scriptures from an Old Testament that was also experiencing a troubled world, and there was hope there, and we're living in a troubled world, and there's hope for us. And so we see these three different eras in history, all of them with hope. And what I was intrigued with is this early church that recognized that the Old Testament had something to offer a troubled world at that point. And, and so I... I would like to uh, challenge us that the Old Testament still has a lot of hope for, for us today. The entire Bible, the entire Word of God is powerful and can offer us hope in the trouble that we find ourselves in. And so today what I'm going to do is, is I want us to look at a New Testament principle very briefly, just to kind of land the, the principle, and then we're going to go to an Old Testament narrative and see how that principle is played out in that narrative. And so... Um, 
I love stories, and I love these Old Testament stories. They are so rich. And so, children, if you want to pay attention, there's a really, really intriguing story that we're going to be looking at today. But first of all, I want to read a couple verses from 1 Peter 4, verses 12 through 19. And then we're going to go to 2 Kings chapter 7 for the narrative. So um, let's begin with these verses in 1 Peter 4, verse 12. I'll be reading out of the ESV. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian... Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? And then I love this last verse. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will and trust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So this is, these are some verses in the New Testament that Peter is writing to the church, explaining to us that if our experience as believers in this troubled world lead us to suffering or maybe fiery trials or whatever your suffering may look like, if that's what we're experiencing, we can have hope in Christ. That's the message that Peter is bringing to the church here. And the descriptors that he uses are amazing when he's talking about suffering and trials. He says rejoice. He says be glad. He says you're blessed. He says glorify God. These are weird descriptors for suffering and trials, right? But that's what he's using to describe it. And in the previous chapter, Peter talks about, uh, he says how that you need to be ready to give an answer about the hope that is within us, right? Peter recognized that there is a hope within us. He had received the Holy Spirit, and we have the Holy Spirit. And so there is a hope that is embedded in us. There is hope. And then we entrust our souls to that creator, that faithful creator, while doing good. And then in Matthew ten sixteen, Jesus also gives us kind of the same picture here where he says, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Right? That's kind of a picture of tough times. Right? So, so Peter and Jesus, all through the New Testament here, we see that there will be hard times. Okay? Just expect it. Old Testament had trouble. New Testament had trouble. 2022 in Ohio has trouble. Right? But there's hope in all of those situations. So let's get to the narrative now, to the story that we're going to look at. And that, like I said, it's in 2 Kings 7. And um, we're going to find some truths about hope in this passage here. Um, They line up with the New Testament principle uh, here in in 2 Kings 7. So some questions to kind of keep in mind as we go through this passage, though, is is the question of how does hope look? What does it actually look like? Is hope just wishful thinking? Is it like, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow because I have big plans for July 4th, but we really, it says 80% chance, so... I hope, but, you know, probably won't happen. Is that what he's talking about when we say hope in Christ? Or is it more of a deep, 
kind of an expectant hope. And I, I like that one better. It's not just wishful thinking when our hope is in Christ. It's almost like an excitement because we know what's just around the bend. We're on the edge of our seats because we know something good is coming. We know what's going to happen. We know what's going to happen now, but we also, as you heard last Sunday, there's a day coming that is going to really give us hope. We know the end of the story. I believe Chris talked about um, the marriage feast of the Lamb, right, last Sunday? I think so. And um, so if you don't know it, and I do, then that's a problem. But, uh, yeah, so you know that the end of the story gives us hope, right? We have hope. We've heard about that. And so, so think about what hope looks like as it pertains to hope in Christ as we go through this, uh, this bit of a narrative here. And, and I think another piece of it to keep in mind, too, is a lot of times we struggle with the, this concept of, of how does a sovereign God and a troubled world, how do those line up at all? Because if he's truly sovereign and powerful, why doesn't he just fix all of this mess that we find ourselves in? And so those are things we grapple with, and we don't really know for sure what to do with it. But my challenge to you would be to just lean into that God that we know is sovereign, even when we don't understand what he's doing. Lean into him. Draw closer when we do see the troubled world around us. So we're going to go to 2 Kings 7, but I don't think it's fair to just start at verse 1 here. I want to just briefly tell you a little bit what the setting is here. So we had Ben-Hadad as the king of Syria. They're the enemies of Israel. By now, Israel had been divided into two nations, um, or a divided nation. I'm not sure which it would really be. But So you had the northern kingdom based in Samaria and the southern kingdom in Jerusalem. And so this is the setting here is the northern kingdom of Israel in Samaria. Ben-Hadad is the king of Syria, like I said, and he is besieging the whole city. So they're all around the city, not letting anybody come and go. And uh, it's getting really bad in the city. Okay? There is a famine because they can't go out and plant their crops. They can't do anything. It's getting bad. They are selling donkeys' heads and doves' dung for food. And they're bringing, uh, let me think here, a, a donkey's head is bringing 80 shekels of silver, and a little cup of doves' dung is bringing five shekels of silver. And some of the parents are even reverting to eating their children, okay? So, does that, does this, is this a troubled world picture here? Probably, right? Um, United States of America 2022, probably not on that level. Not, not making light of the troubles we have, but, but so it's not quite the same. However, this is a troubled world scenario. So now what else is happening is the king of Samaria, king of Israel, has determined that this is all Elisha's fault. The reason we're dealing with all this trouble is because of the man of God. Something is wrong with him, and so we are going to go and take his head off of his shoulders, it says in verse 32. All right? And so him and his men, his messenger and a couple guys, are headed to Elisha's house right now. But God has told Elisha already that they're coming. So Elisha and his guys are in this house in the city, and Elisha tells all his guys, lean up against the wall, you know, try, I mean, against the door, try and keep the door closed because they're coming to take my head off, all right? And we don't want that. So, so that's kind of the setting that is happening here. They're about to get to the house. And so now 
uh, we're going to be in verse 1 where we're going to see what happens here. And we're going to divide this up into four different sections, four different aspects of hope that we're going to see. And it's the source of hope followed by the surprise of hope. And then next we have the sharing of hope and then the significance of hope. So those are the four, four pieces of hope that we're going to be looking at. Verse 1, But Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow, about this time, a seah of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel, and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Then the captain, on whose hand the king leaned, said to the man of God, If the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? But he said, He, Elisha, said, you shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. So the source of hope is the first step of hope that we're going to look at. And we saw it here because the source of hope is the word of God. That's what the source is. And that's actually what determines. Remember we talked about wishful thinking, a hope it doesn't rain versus that deep just expectancy that we can have. The source is what determines whether it's just wishful thinking or whether it's a deep expectancy that you can actually count on, that you can take to the bank. Because if you put your hope in your bank account or your business or maybe your political party, then it may be a little more wishful thinking that your hope is founded on. Um, but this, in this story here, we hear that the word of the Lord is spoken. And the word of the Lord is hard to hard to kind of grasp here because they're selling donkey's heads for 80 shekels, remember? And the word of the Lord says there's going to be good quality food sold at a reasonable price in this city tomorrow. So, of course, it's hard to believe here. But how do we get the word of the Lord? If we really want hope in this troubled world, how do we get to that? How do we get it? How do we get this source of hope, the word of the Lord? Well, we have it. Obviously, this is the word of the Lord, and we have it right in front of us. We can, we can just lean into it every day. Every day we need that hope. When we look around us and we see the trouble in our world, when you wake up in the morning and you're looking for hope in this troubled world, do you think Yahoo News or the Word of God is going to give you more hope? You know, we know the answer, right? And yet we go to news and say, I wonder what bad thing is happening. No, lay it down and open up the Word of the Lord before you do anything else every morning. Just wake up 20 minutes earlier than you would otherwise and dig into the Word of the Lord, and you're going to find hope there. You will, because there is, that is a source. That is the true source of hope. But there's also another word that I want, to, I want us to kind of look at, because in John 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, capital W, Word, and that is Jesus, right? It was talking about Jesus. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world, and we have that. We, Jesus Christ made the ultimate sacrifice so that we can have hope. And so that is God's, uh, it's His way of expressing Himself to humanity, if you will. We express ourselves with words. God expressed His love for humanity by His Son, through His Son, Jesus, when He sent Him to earth here. And so we have the Word of the Lord. We have access to it, so we have hope. But how do the unbelievers around us get hope? How can they find hope? And in our Sunday school, we, taught, we were talking some about evangelism and how we reach out and, and show hope to those around us, to those maybe in, 
in Cleveland or Youngstown or wherever it may be, or in Charm. People need hope all around us. There is a hopelessness that is just everywhere around us, and they need hope. And we have it. We know the source of it. They may not. And so you may be the, the, the source, the, the, the channel, I guess, through which it comes for them. And, and we, can, we, can do, we, can, we can share that with confidence because we know that the, the word, that the word of the Lord is as reliable as the Lord whose word it is. You follow that? The word of the Lord is as reliable as the Lord whose word it is. You can take it to the bank. It is reliable. We know that the Lord is re- reliable because we have lived it, right? We've experienced it in our own lives. We know that he is faithful, and so we can count on it. But what we're going to see here is that you will not benefit from the word of the Lord, from the hope that comes in the word of the Lord if you don't believe it, okay? So it's important that we believe the word of the Lord too because at the end of the story, we're going to see how it works out for the guy that doesn't believe, okay? So the word of the Lord brings hope, but it also brings judgment, all right? So the source of the, is the word of the Lord. Next, we come to the surprise of hope. And that we find in verses 3 through 8. So let's continue reading here. Now, there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate. So we've taken troubled world to a whole other level here, okay? Not only is there famine, but they're also lepers, right? So four men at the entrance to the gate, and they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, Let us enter the city... The famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live, and if they kill us, we shall but die. So they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses, their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was, and fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent and ate and drank, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried off things from it and went and hid them. So we have the surprise of hope here. So they were not anticipating this. But I love, the, I love looking at the reasoning of these four lepers. Isn't it intriguing how they, we're, they're sitting there just like, you know, depressed. This is awful situation we're in. And the one guy looks at the other and goes, you know, I think we have three choices. We really have three options here in front of us. One of them, we go inside the city where they're eating doves' heads and doves' donkeys' heads and doves' dung. And... Really, there's no food there. They don't want us in there because we're lepers and we'll die. Okay, option one, we die. Option two, we could just stay sitting here where there's no food and we'll die. So, option two, we die. Option three, we probably die. (laughs) So, of the three options, probably dying being the best option is a pretty bleak scenario here. I don't think they had a whole lot of hope in, in either of the options, but... The other, one of the guys says, you know what, probably dying is better than definitely dying, right? So let's go with three. Let's go with option number three and see what happens, all right? Because sitting and doing nothing is not going to get us anywhere. And that's kind of a 
probably a lesson for all of us to take as well. Uh, sitting on our couches and just grumbling about this, the bleak situation that we find ourselves in is not really going to get us anywhere. That's not how we pursue the hope that God has for us, right? And so they say, let's at least get up off of our seats and do something. Uh, because remember in First Peter, that final verse said, entrusting our souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So that's while doing something, okay? So a bad decision is sometimes better than indecision of doing nothing. Not in marriage, though, okay, guys? I don't know how many of you are um, pursuing that at this point, but in marriage, maybe an indecision is better than a bad decision. I made a good decision, by the way. But so, now I want us to remember, though, one thing about these lepers, just to be fair to them, is that they had not heard the word of the Lord. Remember, the word that Elisha had said to the king and his messengers these lepers had not heard it. So their indecision and uncertainty was not really an unbelief in the word of the Lord. They just didn't really know what to do. All right? But they're surprised by hope. They didn't know it was going to happen. And our God, our Father, loves to do that for us, doesn't he? He loves to bring us what we need, maybe when we least expect it sometimes, when we're at our lowest. And he brings us that just exactly what we need. That's how our Father loves to do for his children and I love it that I am one of his children and I get that a lot of times Um, so they didn't expect it to happen and so this story is just isn't it so intriguing just imagine with me so they're they've decided on option three right so they're kind of hesitatingly going down the road to the camp and they're looking around and expecting to get I don't know what exactly but they're not expecting anything really good to happen but they're not seeing anybody. And they're like, where is everybody? And they like cautiously pull the flap back from a tent. And there's food in here. And so they are all in there. They're stuffing their faces with food because they haven't eaten decent food in a long time. And they're just gorging themselves. And then they go over to another tent. And one guy is stationed out at the edge saying, no, nobody coming yet. You know, let's keep eating. And finally, they're stuffed, and they see this silver and gold and these jewels and stuff, and so they take them, and they're hiding them just in case if these guys come back soon, and they're frantically just, you know, gorging themselves and hiding treasures, right? Hiding the loot, because this is amazing. Wow, we did not anticipate that it would be this good. And so this is where they get, though, to the next step of hope. And that is, they recognize that they need to share the hope. And that's what we're going to see in verses 9 through 15. So let's keep moving on in this story. So we've started with the source of hope being the Word of God. And then we saw that they, um, well, drawing a blank. What was second point? The surprise of hope. Wow. Okay. Thank you. Surprise of hope. They're surprised by the good things from God. Now we're going to get to where they share it. And that is found in verse 9 through 15. So verse 9. Then they said to one another, We are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they came and called to the gatekeepers of the city and told them, 
We came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no one to be seen or heard there, nothing but the horses tied and the donkeys tied and the tents as they were. Then the gatekeepers called out, and it was told within the king's household. And the king rose in the night and said to his servants, I will tell you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we are hungry. Therefore, they've gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the open country, thinking, when they come out of the city, we'll take them alive and get into the city. And one of his servants said, Let some men take five of the remaining horses, seeing that those who are left here will fare like the whole multitude of Israel who have already perished. Let us send and see. So they took two horsemen, and the king sent them after the army of the Syrians, saying, Go and see. So they went after them as far as the Jordan, and behold, all the way was littered with garments and equipment that the Syrians had thrown away in their haste. And the messengers returned and told the king, So we get to the sharing of hope. They realize that this is too good for us to keep to ourselves. They said, forget the loot. We need to go and tell others about this hope because hope is meant to be shared. It's not meant to be kept within you by yourself. Hope was meant to be shared. That's what evangelism is really all about. And sometimes evangelism can be kind of tough. We don't know really how to go about it. But, but that's what it's about. We have a hope that the world needs, and we need to share it because it's not meant to be kept. These lepers recognized it. They said, look, if we don't tell the others about this, we're going to be punished by mourning. This is not right. They knew just deep in their core of their being, this is not right. It's not how we do it. And, and so a lot of times we hesitate, though, because we don't know what the response is going to be, right? We're not sure what how people will respond when we share the hope with them. Because we see there were two different responses when the lepers came back and told the king and his men. Because one of them was the king, and that was disbelief. He said, yeah, right. I know they're, what they're doing. They're hiding and waiting to ambush us, right? But the other one was the servant of the king, where he said, let's go and see. Let's just go and see what maybe, maybe it is for real. Like, why not check it out? That's the perfect response when hope is shared, right? Let's see. If you believe or not, at least try it out. And so that is what we hope for the response to be when we do share the hope. But I want to share one truth here with you right at this point, and don't miss this. The response of the people does not affect your, um, our, our need to share the hope, okay? The way a person responds when you share the hope with them does not, is not what determines success or failure in your evangelism or in your sharing. If you're obedient and you shared about it, you shared the hope, now you've been a, now you've been a success, regardless of the response of the recipient. And so we share hope because it was not meant to be kept inside. So, so why is hope so, so, why is it so crucial that we share the hope? It's because of the significance of hope, which is the fourth step in this hope that we are looking at here. What is the significance of hope? Let's look at verses 16 through 20 and see what the significance is of this hope. Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Syrians. So a sea of fine flour was sold for a shekel and two seas of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Now the king had appointed the captain on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate, and the people trampled him in the gate so that he died, as the man of God had said when the king came down to him. 
For when the man of God had said to the king, Two seahs of barley shall be sold for a shekel, and a seah of fine flour for a shekel, about this time tomorrow in the gate of Samaria, the captain had answered the man of God, If the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could such a thing be? And he said, You shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. And so it happened to him. For the people trampled him in the gate, and he died. So what is the significance of hope? It's that lives are changed. The lives of the people in this cities were changed dramatically. Just picture this. They went from eating donkey's heads and dove's dung to eating fine barley and flour. Good quality food being sold at a reasonable price instead of what they had been experiencing. And so the significance, the reason it's so crucial that we share hope when we've received it is because lives are changed. And that's what God's Word is all about, right? That's what God is all about. He wants lives to be changed. When people meet God, their lives are changed. We go from eating donkey's heads to fine flour. That is the significance of hope. Because what, what is promised happens. That's what this hope is all about. It is a deep-seated, confident, expectant hope that we have. It is not wishful thinking because what God says will happen every single time. It does. And what we see here is we see that God spoke a promise of hope and he spoke a promise of judgment. And both of them happened. The hope is for those that believe. The judgment is for those that don't believe. And while that is very sad for us, when we see loved ones or people that we care about who don't believe and experience the judgment, that's out of our hands. We can't save anybody. And so all that our, our place is is to share that hope with them. And then God will do the rest. And that is why it is so significant. That is why it's so crucial that we share that hope because it is significant. We want lives to be changed. So, what does hope look like for a troubled world? What did it look like in the Old Testament, in Samaria? What did it look like in the New Testament, the first century church where Peter was writing to the church? And what does it look like today in Ohio in 2022? How does it work? Well, remember, the source of hope is the key. That's what determines whether it's wishful thinking or a deep, confident expectancy. And like Peter said in his letter, just because there is trouble in our world does not mean that the presence of God is not there. God's presence is still powerful and it's still there and it still applies. And so the hope that Peter was talking about and the hope that Elisha was talking about also applies to us today. Our hope today is not founded on, you know, imagine we would love to have the man of God would come up here and say, tomorrow at this time, gasoline will be sold for $1.99 in Berlin, Ohio. You know, that's what we'd like to hear, right? That'd be great. But we have so much a deeper hope than that because our hope needs to be on the forgiveness of sins for those that repent, right? There's forgiveness of sins for those that repent because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And you know what what comes after that when repentance comes and we, we have that relationship with God and then we get to live 
eternally with him someday. We get to partake in that marriage feast of the Lamb one day. And so our ultimate hope is not in cheap gas. Our hope is in the forgiveness of sins so that we can live eternally with Jesus Christ one day. And so we can entrust our souls into that faithful creator's hands, right? While doing good, while doing what we're called to do here in our little corner of the world because there is hope for a troubled world. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, the hope that you give us. God, we, we look around us and it's hopeless. But when we look to you and to your word, we see hope. And we can move forward with that hope because we know that the source is your word and we have that word and Lord we we trust it God we just want to lean into that more than ever God we know that that's the only way we can really function that's the only way we can go on but God it is so such a significant life-changing hope that we know we need to share it and even if we have um, some apprehensions about that Lord, I pray that you would give each one of us here the courage that it takes to step out and share that hope. Whatever it is, wherever we are drawn to, whatever people you bring into our lives this week, that we could share a little piece of that hope maybe. And then we can experience what it's like to to tell others about the hope. God, we're honored to be able to do that. Thank you for that, Lord. I pray your blessing on this congregation. And on Chris and Yomi as they uh, lead the congregation here, uh, just bless them and uh, that they could be a light and a testimony in this corner of the world, Lord. Amen.